Good morning. Morning. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you that you make all things work together for our good. Lord Jesus, we just realize you're the Lord of this universe. You have a a purpose, you have an intention, and you do work all things for our good. Lord, grant us to see this, grant us the sight to see this through all the circumstances that we pass through. Lord, we love you and we pray this morning you could again speak to us through your word and through the life of Joseph. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your holy word. It just isn't full of stories, but it's something there for us to grasp and to learn and to be comforted and encouraged with. Lord, encourage us this morning, enlighten us this morning, and give us a way to go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, we've been going through the life of Joseph. You know, I'd like to just say this. The book of Genesis written by Moses, and especially these chapters that we are in, I would say this, is some of the best writing that there is in the Bible. These chapters that we're in, uh, you know, we're covering actually quite a bit of ground this morning, and there's no way that we can read all the verses. So I strongly urge, cajole, beg, almost demand, (laughs) that you read these chapters, and you start reading them, and you won't stop, because the narrative is so well written, and you get to a certain point, and you've got to know what happens next, so you will keep reading. Just start reading, and you will get this wonderful picture, story, narrative of the life of Joseph and what he was going through. Um, Nigel last week, it was Nigel, right? (laughs) We get confused sometimes who's sharing when. Um, Brought us to the point with Joseph, he had spent his time as a slave under Potiphar, and then he was wrongly, unjustly accused of something, and he ended up in prison. The whole point of that time, and what Nigel's pointing out, is that through this time, Joseph learned to be others-centered, caring for others, caring for Potiphar's household, and eventually caring for fellow prisoners in the prison. And later on, when he got out of prison and became second in command in all of Egypt, what I really is striking there, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he began to serve in the household or in Egypt. It doesn't say Joseph was 30 years old when he got on the throne. No, it says Joseph was 30 years old when he began to serve his whole life. Well, maybe not his whole life, but at least he was trained through those difficult times to be a servant, to serve others, to care for others. He learned to serve others. Joseph then is brought out of the difficult situation He is, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and Pharaoh says, you are the man to carry out the commission that you just said needs to be done. That is to save Egypt and eventually to save the known world at that time from famine. So Joseph gets this major, big promotion. 
He's serving others. Then we come to some very interesting verses in chapter 41, verses 50 and 51. Let's look at these verses. Before the year of famine came. So, okay, Joseph has become second in command in Egypt. Seven years of plenty, and he's preparing for the seven years of famine. So it says, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Now, this is a really interesting verse. If he forgot, how come he remembered? There's something very striking here in this verse. The Bible does not use the word forgive. But when you read the rest of the following chapters you realize something had transpired in Joseph all of these 13 years plus, maybe 20 years. Joseph had come to the point where he could say, I have forgiven. Because he says, I forget my suffering, even I forget my father's house. That forgetting the father's house doesn't really mean he forgot the father's house, but he forgot or he forgave what his brothers did. Why? Because later on we'll see, he realized, I am here because God put me here. Therefore, he could forgive his brothers. This shows us what? Joseph turned the page, you could say, in his life experience. This was turning the page for Joseph. He left something go. He let some bitterness go. He let the hardship go. He let the offense offense go by forgiving and turning the page. So he names his son Manasseh. And you think about this. As Joseph was there, these seven years of plenty... He is orchestrating this massive, massive project to save Egypt, and we find out later on, beyond Egypt, from a major famine. This is a big project, big project. And what happens? Everybody's bowing down to him. Everybody's bowing down to him because it's not just a matter of he has a position. Yes, he does. But they realize they respect this man. Therefore, they bow down to him. And it's quite possible that Joseph realized the fulfillment of his dream. People are bowing down to him. And it's also quite possible that Joseph may have thought the relationship with my family is over. I'm moving on. There's no further relationship with my family. God has done everything according to my dream. Not realizing that God still had a further step to take with especially Joseph's family. Still Joseph, but Joseph's family as well. Joseph, the birth of his sons show, Joseph closed a chapter in his life and was moving on.
I'll come back to our point a little bit. The next verse, verse 52 says that, uh, 41:52. the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This shows there's some positive going forward. There's the closing of a chapter with Manasseh. There is the going forward, opening the door for fruitfulness in his new environment and new situation. But I'd like to come back to this point of this matter of forgiveness. Forgiveness in the Bible is a big item. I would even say a difficult item. And it also is a vital and important, crucial part of our Christian experience. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 say this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's face it. Let's be honest. These are two of the hardest verses in the Bible. Let's not kid ourselves. Let me ask you, who in this room has never been offended or hurt? We all have been hurt. We all, all of us have had something done to us that we feel was wrong, was unrighteous, was unjustified. We all feel that way, right? At one time or another, at least once, at least once. So, we can all, we should all be able to identify at least in a small way with Joseph. We've all been hurt. We've all been offended. We've all been accused of something that we didn't do. Now, to be offended is the easy part. To forgive is the hard part. Am I right? Yes. What is the natural reaction to offense? Retribution. Your time is coming. Just wait. I'm going to get back at you. Isn't that the natural reaction? It is. There's something with all of us say, okay, you wronged me. Just wait. I'll get back at you. How about Joseph? Now, a cursory reading of these following chapters, you may think, oh, yeah, Joseph was angry with his brothers. He's getting back at them. I'm going to, we'll come to there, but I'm going to point something, a whole other way of looking at those chapters. Joseph, actually, we can say, because of this word concerning Manasseh, his son, there's something that transpired in Joseph to let go of the offense and not seek revenge. 
I know some of you don't believe me yet. It's okay. We'll get there. We don't have time to read all the verses, so I may refer to some of the incidences. And if you're not quite clear, then that just proves that you need to read those chapters. I would like to say this. Okay, Joseph is there. He's in Egypt. Serving two years into the famine. Guess who unexpectedly shows up in Egypt? His ten brothers. Why? Because they need to buy grain themselves. Because they're not having grain either. They need to buy grain. Joseph sees them. And as I said, would it be the natural reaction, first of all, let's take revenge? Well, I would say this. Joseph is not taking revenge. Joseph is looking for something in his brothers to see if they've changed. Or are they still the same as when they sold him into slavery. And by the way, before they sold him into slavery, they threatened to kill him. All right? At least some of his brothers did. So they come, and Joseph actually puts his brothers to the test. He first of all says, you're spies. No, we're not spies. No, we're not spies. We're this, we're this, we're this. Eventually, in chapter 42, Joseph says this. By this, you shall be tested. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Joseph is looking for something deeper, not just some action. Are you a truthful person. Now, let me say this. You consider. Here, Joseph sees his brothers. Benjamin's not there. Let me ask you. We just said he forgot his father's house. Now he remembers his father's house because they're right in front of him. Who does Joseph miss the most? Two people. His father and Benjamin, his younger brother. Don't you think he wants to see them? Don't you think he's desperate to see them as soon as possible? But instead, what does Joseph do? He denies himself the pleasure of seeing his younger brother and his father to find out if his brothers have changed. And you may think, he has no feeling. No, Joseph has lots of feeling. As we find out later, he has a lot of feeling. So I'll say this. Joseph being the offended one, or you may say the victim, he had to get over his natural reaction of revenge. On the other hand, his brothers who caused the offense need to deal with that offense. 
They have not yet dealt with their offense. And this story shows how Joseph brought his brothers through a process to deal with their past offense. Not for Joseph's sake, but for their sake. So Joseph refuses revenge, but he's looking for truth. He refuses his own satisfaction to test his brother's repentance. So Joseph puts them to the test, and eventually something actually wonderful happens. In chapter 42, verse 21, they're talking to one another. And by the way, just to let you know, Joseph is there. He's in the room. He understands everything they're saying, but he doesn't let on that he understands. They don't know him. He knows them. He speaks to them through an interpreter. They speak to him through an interpreter, but he doesn't really need the interpreter to listen. And they say this to one another among themselves. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul, they're referring to Joseph, when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Now this little, is a little hint. You know, when you're reading through all those parts before about Joseph being sold into slavery, there's not a word about Joseph, his feeling, his reaction. Now we find out. Joseph, the whole time while he was in the pit and while he was being sold, he was begging them and begging them, don't do this. Don't do this. Joseph was not a stone. He was full of feeling. Then Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Actually, to tell you the truth, the brothers think Joseph is dead. Actually, I believe it's at this point that Joseph, his emotions took over and he turned away and he went away to weep. Why? He could say a few things, possibly. He wept because he saw his brothers had some repentance. He probably also wept because he really wanted to see his brother and his father, but at the same time realized now's not the time. So what we see is Joseph weeps, turn, turns away, weeps, stops weeping, comes back. He even doesn't let his emotions overrule his judgment in dealing with his brothers. So what does he do? He sends his brothers home, except he keeps one back. He sends nine brothers home with their food that they purchased and the money that they purchased the food with. In other words, Joseph donated all the food to his family. And of course, eventually they find the money in their sacks and they realize, no, God, what are you doing to us? I like that because basically they realize God is dealing with them. 
They didn't say Joseph. They said God. They didn't say the ruler of Egypt. They said God. Joseph, this is kind of peculiar. There's two things going on here in Together, Joseph is caring for his brothers and his family's welfare. At the same time, he's disciplining them. They're being disciplined. The other thing is this. Then he says, okay, he keeps Simeon back, puts him in prison, and he tells the brothers, go. But you cannot come back until you bring your younger brother with you. Now, just remember this. He knows, listen, Joseph knows that request is going to be really, really hard on his father. But he has to do it because there's another test that he has to put his brothers through in relationship to his youngest brother, Benjamin. Why does he keep Simeon back? The Bible doesn't tell us why it was Simeon. But this is what I believe. You know, when Joseph first came to his brothers, back before they sold him, some of them said, let's kill him! Let's kill him! Who was that? How can we say it was Simeon? Because Simeon was a cruel person. There's some earlier chapters which we didn't cover. Simeon and one of his other brothers went to a city when the men were, had just been circumcised and he slaughtered them all. This shows you what kind of person Simeon was. And I believe Joseph felt, Simeon, you need some special discipline. Therefore, you go into prison and you're kept there. Well, as it comes out, later on, Joseph's brothers... Persuade the father to let Benjamin come. Joseph's disciplining of his brothers. I'd like, to, I'd like to suggest this. Joseph was not just disciplining his brothers. Joseph was preparing a nation. You know, the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. They're a nation. As the leaders or the heads of the nation, they need to be in the proper place to be the head of the nation. They can't just be wild like they were. Therefore, they need some discipline to make them, to prepare them, even, I would say, to change them. In order to be a nation. Discipline is necessary. In Hebrews chapter 12, we have a, a very interesting portion here. Basically says, God disciplines us because we're his sons. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. 
and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now, this last verse. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Discipline Listen, discipline is not to make you good. Discipline is to make you holy. We're talking about God's discipline. Yes, our parents' discipline is to make us good. God's discipline is to make us holy. And God does not discipline us in anger. God disciplines us with love. But the discipline from love works. Let me say this, even humanly, as a word to the fathers. When we as fathers discipline our children in love, it works. When we discipline our children in anger, it doesn't work. I've had three children, I know. (laughs) Both sides. Good and bad. I know some of my discipline was in anger. And all it did was add gasoline to a fire already there. However, when I, one time I had to discipline my son, I put him in his room and I put myself in my room until I was calmed down. I no longer wanted to discipline him. I no longer felt to discipline him because the anger was gone. But I realized I still need to discipline him for his sake. And when I did, I didn't need to spank very hard at all. Not at all. But guess what happened after I spanked him? I hugged him and he hugged me back. Another little situation to tell you about my grandson. He's also naughty. (laughs) Anyway, something happened at school, daycare, whatever it's called, and through some advice of an older mother, my daughter, who of course was trained not to spank in her school, Ryerson's like that, (laughs) maybe all schools are, I don't know, she comes home, she tells her husband, this is this, this is this, and this, and this is what so-and-so suggested. Father takes son, tells him what you did is not allowed. You cannot do that. Daddy needs to spank you. He got spanked. And then my daughter said, he came out from that spanking a changed boy. (laughs) He was happy. He was pleasant. He even no longer was miserable. Spanking which does not cause harm, is effective. Spanking that is brutal probably doesn't work. Why? 
because you have spanked in anger. Be like Joseph. Deal with your anger first. Let God deal with everything in you to the point that you have to deny yourself to spank your child. Then it'll work. That's what God deal, that's how God deals with us. Well, our time is up. We probably will continue this a little bit next week. There's something a lot more here, especially with, with this whole scenario of the younger brother, Benjamin. Benjamin becomes the test to his older brothers to find out if he has changed. We're going to have the Lord's table now. Um, I'd like to just read a verse as we begin the Lord's table. And this is from Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. 7, sorry. Whew. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses or trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. When it comes to this matter of forgiveness, us forgiving others, that is, first of all, we have to see how much God has forgiven us. If we don't see that, then it's very, very difficult to forgive others. But when we see the extent to which we needed forgiveness and the extent to which God in Christ went through the cross to forgive us our sins, then we realize okay, if I'm forgiven, I need to forgive others as well. When Jesus was on the cross, without any repentance on the part of other people around him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. This is the real forgiveness of our Christ.